Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, Justin Trudeau's government's attack on press freedom and free speech, Bill Blair's fear-mongering to support gun control, and Laura Lynn Tyler-Thompson and I talk about the future of PPC and social conservatives in Canada. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hey, welcome everyone to another edition, another week of episodes for The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. You heard the man at the beginning, Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thanks so much for tuning into the program today. I want to just focus on a couple of things this episode because there have been a few things that have gone on, but really a couple of big ones that I want to get through. And I, to be honest, I don't even know if I'll make it to the second one that I have on my list here, which is talking about some of the updates in the gun control plans that Justin Trudeau has that Bill Blair has told us a little bit more about. And like everything else Bill Blair has told us, he seems to be promising something that we already have in law in Canada. But we'll get to that later on. I want to focus for the first chunk of the show here, if I can, on this idea of licensing media that now we started talking about on the last episode of the show, actually. I was reading from the report, the one put forward by Janet Yale, the recommendations in question that were talking about licensing all media content, and it was very clear, all Now, in that report, Janet Yale said, you know, news organizations that are uh, qualified news organizations, good journalism, all of that stuff will be exempted from it. But lacking from that report was the definition. And the devil, as they always say, is in the details. And I want to share with you a story in three acts, if I can here, because the first is the clip I'm sure you've seen by now, the initial clip of Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbo on with Evan Solomon on CTV. And in this, he first opened the door to the government adopting this recommendation, because last week when I talked about this report, it was just a recommendation. We didn't know whether or not the government was going to adopt it. And then this happened. As far as the licensing is concerned, is if you're a distributor of content in Canada, and obviously, you know, if, if you're a, if you're, if you're a sm- very small media organization, the requirement probably wouldn't be the same as if you're Facebook or, or Google. Um, uh, so th- 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 there would have to be some proportionality uh, uh, embedded I- into this. But we we would ask that they have a license. Yes. So that was very clear. We would ask that they have a license. Yes. Now that was on Sunday. And by Monday, there was a fair bit of outrage online, not just from the usual chorus of critics of this government, but even from some mainstream media reporters that were saying, huh, you know, I don't like the idea of government injecting itself even further into the idea of media. And this is you know, funny from the industry that's now receiving this $600 million bailout where the government has to make the determination of what a qualified or government-approved media organization is. But there was enough outrage that the government thought it was worthwhile to walk it back. So Minister Gilbo, outside the House of Commons the next morning, had a scrum and he walked the comments back. The problem that I have is that the media decided to stop there. The media said, okay, you know, it was a bad idea, but they walked it back. But 
he actually raised even more questions that haven't really been asked. And I want to play the clip of what he said in that scrum. And the reason I'm going to do that, and I'm sorry if it's a bit repetitive, is that I want you to hear the wording that's used to compare with something else I'm going to share later on. This is what he said in the foyer of the House of Commons. Let me be clear. Our government has no intention to impose licensing requirements on news organizations, nor will we try to regulate news content. So what he says there, I will be clear, let me be clear, our government will not impose licensing requirements on news organizations, nor will we regulate news content. That was what he said. Now, in question period, Justin Trudeau later that day said this, and I quote, I want to be unequivocal, we will not impose licensing requirements on news organizations, nor will we regulate news content. So one of them said, let me be clear, the other said, I want to be unequivocal, one of them said, we, the other said, our government. Apart from those differences, the entire line was the same. This was a talking point. This was a talking point. And the reason that's important is because Minister Gilbo got up there in that same scrum that I just showed you a clip from and said later on, I don't have the clip handy, but said later on, you know what, uh, I did this all on my own. I No one told me because someone asked, who did you talk to? Who told you to clarify this? He said, no, I'm a big boy. I did it myself. But he was reading from prepared notes. He was reading from paper. Now, maybe they were his notes, but I find it funny that his line is identical to the line put forward by Justin Trudeau. But it's very specific. This line is very specific. It's not, no, 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 this is untrue. We're not imposing licensing. It's we're not going to impose licensing on news content, on news organizations. And most people in that scrum let it slide. But the logical question, and a few people have raised this, I'm not saying no one has, is, okay, well, what do you qualify as a news organization, and what will you do to those who don't meet that definition? Now, to his credit, Evan Solomon did another interview with Minister Gilbo and tried to probe into this, and I'm going to play two clips from it here back-to-back, -back because you see how he just genuinely does not have an answer to this. He does not have an answer. Here, take a look. Pleasure All right, you told me uh, on CTV's question period that media companies will be licensed. Many people assumed you were referring to news organization. Who exactly, what exactly will require a government license? Please clarify. Let me be crystal clear. News agencies will not require licensing or registration by the government or any other agencies. It's, it's not on the table. Not at all. Okay, well, who decides what a news organization is? Because that's the crux of it. No, no, not at all. And, and, and uh, again, the government is not in the business of, of, of deciding that. So we will not be asking news agencies for license or, or registration. We're, we're not doing that. The confusion comes from the, the use of the term media yes. in, in the report. So what is it? What's your definition and, of media? No, my defini the, the, the important answer is not what my definition is, but in the report, they refer to media as anyone who produces content. Right. And, and they say that for news agencies, there will be no licensing 
required. But for, for, what about for aggregators? What about for opinion sites? Uh, your, listen, listen. your point of view is relevant because you're the guy that has to decide what parts of the recommendations you're going to use. So are aggregators which are recommended? Are other sites, are uh, content opinion sites, are those going to be licensed? What we're interested in is how can we continue to have good Canadian cultural content made in Canada and, and, and made available. He can't even give an answer. The question's very clear. What's your definition going to be? And he says, the guy who, as Evan Solomon pointed out, is responsible for making this determination. I don't know. It's not important what my definition is. Well, it is important, and let me tell you why firsthand. So the government of Canada does not recognize True North as being a media organization. This was made very clear during the federal election campaign when the Liberals said, no, you can't come to our events, and the Leaders' Debates Commission said to us, well, no, you can't come to our debates. Now, we were able to access the debates because of a federal court order. The federal court views us as a media organization if the government doesn't. But the government would very likely look at us and say, no, 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 you're not a news organization, so you're a media organization that we can regulate, that we can force to be licensed. And this is even more insidious, or at least as insidious, as demanding licensing from news companies, from news organizations, because the government is still doing the same thing. The government still has to make the determination as to whether or not you are a news organization. And if the government has to make that determination, we're no better off under this licensing model that exempts them than we are under one that includes them because both require government to do the exact same thing, which is acknowledge, okay, there is a line, there is a definition, and it's us, the government, we, the government, that have to determine who meets that definition. And there's nothing good that can come of government coming up with this definition. And the reason I know that is because of what we saw during the federal election campaign. When government decides it's going to just draw this line retroactively, designed to exclude people that they've already decided to exclude. And the reason I'm bringing this up, we actually had a bit of an update in the case this week, the case against the Leaders' Debates Commission, where we learned that Justin Trudeau's attorney general, and this happened, I think, on Monday that we learned this, Justin Trudeau's attorney general is trying to have our case thrown out. The argument is that it's moot, and the reason they're saying it's moot is because the debate's over, but because they view press freedom as not an issue of national importance. And they actually say this in the filing, the government says this, that it's not an issue of national importance such that it makes sense to do this. Well, the reason we're doing it is because there is a constitutional question at hand. And when we set out on this venture, when we took the federal government to court, we had no idea that just a couple of months later, they were literally going to be talking about licensing media organizations. And now we see just the utter contempt, the utter contempt in which the liberal government holds independent media. And I will say very good, and I, I've always liked Evan Solomon, but very good for Evan Solomon to keep the feet to the fire on this for Minister Gilbo. But more importantly, I want to see more outrage from the media because a lot of them, once he walked it back, and he didn't walk it back. I mean, that's the, the whole point. He, he, I'd say he walked it forward in many ways because he proved that there is, in fact, a line that's going to be drawn. 
but many people in the media that I would have loved to have seen continue to hammer them are now, it seems, accepting that, all right, well, I guess it's over. I guess it's done. This was not just a bad idea. This was an utterly unconscionable idea that is not something you see or should see or will see in a free country. Because indeed, country is no longer free when you have to have the free press go through this licensing process, even if the end of it is, oh, no, 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 we've determined that you don't need your license. Well, you haven't determined that. The Constitution has determined that. Determined that My God-given right to free speech has determined that. So for government to then put more hurdles on memes, basically. I mean, they're, they're saying we need to go after media content online. It's not just about Netflix and Google and Facebook. They're trying to go after everyone. And I, again, I want to read the section of the report in question, and we didn't have as much time to go into this in as much detail as I would have liked last week, but the report has a word that is very important here. We recommend that the Broadcasting Act be amended to ensure that the CRTC can, by regulation, condition of license, or condition of registration, impose codes of conduct, including provisions with respect to resolution mechanisms, transparency, privacy, and accessibility regarding all media content undertakings. All. It says all. So this idea of you just being some blogger in your basement is now going to be subject to government licensing. The same regime that's going to go after Netflix, Google, Facebook is going after someone that does YouTube commentary, someone who runs an aggregator service. And indeed, when aggregators were put forward, he didn't have an answer. Gilbo didn't have an answer. He said, oh, no, no, well, it's not my definition. You know, I can't, uh, I can't do this. I, who's, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? This report should be ripped up, thrown out, and never spoken of again. And that's where we are as a country right now, that we actually have to be fighting our government for press freedom. And they're doing it under the guise of mandating Canadian content. They're doing it under the guise of, oh, you have to play more Justin Bieber songs uh, if you're going to play Led Zeppelin. And what I find hilarious is that Canadian content is a holdover from a time when we didn't have the ability to go anywhere we want to find content. It's a holdover from a time when you had to listen to what was on the radio. So if you wanted to get Canadian artists played, that was where you had to put them. Now, we can say, you know what? Forget about this. I don't want to listen to Canadian radio. I want to go on Spotify. I don't want to watch Canadian television reruns. I want to go on Netflix. So it's already bad enough that the government is going after these types of operations. I think that this is uh, an undermining and usurping of the free market in and of itself. But by saying that we need to go guns blazing towards the regulation of, again, to use Janet Yale's words from that report, of all media content, even if they are going to draw this little line around news organizations without defining news organizations, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because now what government is doing is saying that we have this list and the government-approved media organizations are on it, and the non-approved government organizations are not on it, and they're going to use that in many ways. Access is a big one. If you've gone through that review process, and government has determined, oh, no, no, you don't need a license because you're one of our preferred news organizations, then when you want to cover an event, the government will say, oh, well, uh, yep, it seems like, yep, you're, you're cleared. 
And if you want to cover an event and you're not on that list, as it sounds like True North won't be on the list, then government is going to say, oh, no, 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 you aren't accredited. You have to look down the line on this. This is not just about Canadian content. In fact, it's never about what they're telling you it's about. It's about so much more than that and will continue to be an excuse that government can use to shoehorn its way into manipulating and undermining the free press, which is why it needs to be called out. It needs to be stopped. We'll be back in a moment with more of The Andrew Lawton Show. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. We are back. Thanks very much for sticking with me on the show here. I want to talk a little bit about firearms policy in Canada, and I know that there's going to be more gun control discussions in the next few months of Parliament and as such, though there will certainly be more on this show. But Bill Blair has a tendency to announce things that are already law. For example, when he says ban assault weapons, well, assault weapons are already illegal in Canada. When he talks about keeping guns out of the hands of criminals, well, that's already supposed to be a priority of government. And now he's talking about having Ottawa adopt, according to the Globe and Mail, red flag laws that would allow law enforcement to confiscate guns from people that are deemed to pose a threat. Again, something that we already have in Canada. But I want to share with you what Bill Blair said here. He said that red flag laws will allow police, doctors, lawyers, educators, and loved ones to petition the courts to remove guns from someone flagged to be a risk. Quote, there are dangerous situations where the firearm presence becomes deadly, and so we want to empower not just the police, but doctors, victims, communities, and families to be able to take steps to render a dangerous situation safe. Now, this is something that the Canadian Association of Emergency Physicians has advocated for, a a group that is very much pro-gun control. But already those people can by calling the police. And there already is a program. Dennis Young, who's a, a great firearms expert in Canada, has done a lot of work on this as well. The program is called the Firearms Interest Police, FIP. And he's actually tried to get files about this program and has had very little luck in many respects. But in particular, there was a case in September of 2019 where he was trying to understand how there was a failure of the system when someone who shouldn't have been able to hold on to his guns was able to, and even though serious reports had been filed with police. But this was, if you read into it, a failure of the process. It wasn't the absence of a process. So Bill Blair is, again, fear-mongering. Someone would read this, someone who doesn't know gun laws, someone who doesn't know what's legal and what's illegal in Canada, and say, oh my goodness, I guess people that are unsafe, people that are dangerous, are able to have guns without them being taken away. That just isn't true. And by the way, I'll add that gun owners have had firearms taken away from them for a lot sillier reasons than posing a threat to someone or posing a threat to themselves. They've had guns taken away for using them in self-defense. They've had guns taken away for not storing them properly. Our system is not one that errs on the side of letting people keep guns who shouldn't have them. It errs the other way. Now, again, no one's even talking about changing that. No one's, if you break the law, you break a regulation. I get it. I think we need to make the regulations more sensible. But Blair has to stop announcing things that are already law to really stoke fears that people have about firearms, which is all that he's doing. 
And, you know, you look at the process now, you can be committed if you are going to pose a threat to yourself or others. This is something that we have in all provinces in Canada. And beyond that, if you own firearms, police know it. This is the thing, especially with restricted guns. There is a registry. There is a database. And certainly the liberals love registries. Well, we already have that for handguns and for assaulted guns like an AR-15, like other variants as well. So police know. So if someone says, hey, I think, uh, you know, Chuck, my neighbor, is uh, acting a little weird and threatening me, well, they know if Chuck has a gun. They can talk to him. And if there is reason to believe that he is going to use that gun, they can. But the liberals are hell-bent on ignoring behavior and focusing on the easy way out, which is demonizing all gun owners. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with having a red flag law, which is why conservatives didn't do anything about it when there was one already on the books. They're trying to import an American dialogue because red flag laws are part of the discussion you hear in the U.S. in the last year or so in particular. They're trying to import this American discussion and import American fear. And the hope has to be that Canadians are sensible enough to see through it. We've got to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk to Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson, former PPC candidate about the future of the PBC and also the place that social conservatives have in Canada. Stay with me. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back. So last week, I caught up with Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson, who is a former PPC candidate. She was actually the first PPC candidate because she ran in a Burnaby by-election before the general election in 2019. And she's also been an outspoken advocate, not just for the PPC, but on a lot of the social issues that politicians tend to shy away from. And I wanted to touch base with her for a couple of reasons, to talk about the future of the PPC after its electoral showing in 2019, but also as the discussions go forward about where social conservatives fit into the Conservative Party of Canada, how the PPC has tried to cement itself as being the home for SOCON voters. We'll talk about this and whatever else comes up in my interview with Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson joins me on the line now. Laura Lynn, thanks for joining me today. It's good to talk to you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's great to just talk about what is going on in our nation and um, and let political correctness go. Let me ask about your entry into politics, because for someone who has spoken out about all of the issues imaginable and someone who has a a really deep uh, religious conviction and, and a very strong faith that jumping into politics is not typically a place that is receptive to this, especially now. Why did you decide to take that plunge back in that Burnaby by-election? Well, you know, uh, when I was growing up in church and I've spent, uh, you know, much time my whole life in churches, I never was encouraged to go into politics. It was never something that we wanted to do. Um, Separation of church and state is something that you hear uh, very often. Uh, Then I started realizing that all the people that uh, maybe didn't believe in my religion uh, were actually getting into politics. And guess what they were doing, Andrew? They were making laws. They were going to parliament consistently to make laws to actually bludgeon what I believe, to go against my charter rights, to come against my freedom of conviction 
and conscience and my religious beliefs. And then I said, you better wake up and know that you need to be part of this process. And that all began with the gender fluid uh, teaching that was going on in the schools. I just, you know, just a simple thing. It's not a big deal. I just thought little boys don't need to be told that maybe they're a girl inside. I don't know. Where did this happen? Like all of a sudden, everyone's talking about this, you know, uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. I never heard nothing about that. Right. Until just a couple of years ago. So now they're they have it in all the schools, all of this indoctrination, dozens and dozens and dozens of transgender um, indoctrination books from kindergarten, you know, all up through grade 12. Oh, you know what? Maybe somebody needs to say something. So when I began to speak. Yeah, I, you know, I faced some targeting and I realized we're in a totally different world and I thought someone has to stand. So that's why I'm here. You know, that gender identity aspect of the cultural discussions we have now is a hugely pivotal one for a lot of people. I mean, that was the issue that launched Jordan Peterson. That was the issue that has converted a lot of people into being a lot more supportive of free speech and certainly seeing a lot more of the dynamics of the culture war. And it's interesting that that was for you a linchpin in your decision to jump into politics and start speaking out on political issues a lot more. Because, I mean, that old saying is, that yesterday's fringe is today's normal has never been truer than it is around that issue. This idea that you'd be laughed at by people on the left and the right for saying 10 years ago, oh, we should put kids on hormones to change their genders. Now you're yelled at and screamed at for being a bigot if you don't say that. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. And you know what I find? Evan Solomon, uh, these people, uh, Vashi, you know, they have no idea uh, what they're talking about. And they, all they do is promote a left wing, um, talking point and ideology. They're too afraid to deal with it. They don't even look at the statistics. We have a global 45, um, 4,500% increase in gender referrals. Something is bloody hell wrong with our nation. What is going on? Why is no one wanting to talk about it? Why are dozens and dozens of kids, uh, even hundreds, in the greater Vancouver area now going to see a gender doctor? Did you hear about this, you know, when you were young? Uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, it, all of a sudden, it's just been taken over. And now we have all of the schools telling these kids that, oh, yeah, maybe you could be a, a girl inside a boy's body. And now we have this confusion. And now they're going to doctors. And now we're going to ban what's called conversion therapy, which is anybody who just dares to say to a nine-year-old boy, you know, I think you're a boy. And, and I think that let's celebrate, let's celebrate and affirm who you are in your body. It's a real deal to to struggle with gender dysphoria. Nobody is saying it's not. But the reality and the data shows that if you don't socially transition a child and you get them through after puberty, they're completely happy with the body that they were born in. And uh, some are gay, some are not. So let's stop acting like doctors in schools and not telling parents what's going on and uh, affirming confusion. It's confusion-affirming therapy that's going on in schools, and it, it has to stop. 
Well, and it's one of those areas where the political ideology tends to trump the science. Uh, we see it in gender. We see it a lot in the climate discussion. We see it on economics discussions. And I'd say it's one of the more concerning trends that we see in the media now, the mainstream media, where there's a lot more of a reliance on the politicized context of things that activists are putting forward than there is yep. on, on evidence and on truth. And, and that, for me, when it comes to how politicians respond to it, gets to why the PPC, and, and specifically Maxime Bernier, even before he left the Conservative Party of Canada, was such a, an interesting thing to watch. Because uh, Maxime Bernier, who I know you know quite well, really started talking about these things that a lot of people were thinking of but politicians were not supposed to, and I put that in air quotes, not supposed to talk about uh, whether it's immigration, whether it's things like C-16 and the gender identity stuff. And that's, that's a huge problem when there's a, a growing divide between what real people are talking about and what the media is prepared to accept politicians bringing up. You're absolutely right, um, uh, Andrew. And uh, Maxime Bernier is the most courageous politician that we have going. Uh, he is willing to talk intelligently ca with common sense about some of the social terrorism we're facing. Uh, he uh, he spoke outwardly against uh, Yaniv, who was going against, you know, using the Human Rights Tribunal as a bludgeoning weapon against uh, women, you know, who would not wax his balls. Like Maxime Bernier was uh, willing to talk about it. Everybody else, ooh, I'm too afraid, you know, and even the Human Rights Tribunals uh, were scolded by the person who who helped to create the Human Rights Tribunal saying, well, how could this even be be heard? this Yaniv crazy person. Also, uh, Maxime was willing to speak out on the issue of the young person who wanted to transgender, uh, to change their gender in the Vancouver area, who at the very first visit was offered cross-sex hormones rather than counseling to, you know, maybe check it out. Without parental consent, the court ordered that this child was able to transition what has gone wrong? Yes, Maxime Bernier knows how to deal with what we are going through. And he also defended me. He defended me when the Conservative Party of Canada would not run me as a candidate. Why? Because I didn't think that little kids should be told that they can be a different gender. Maxime Bernier took me on in, in an un unprecedented move of courage and ran me as one of his first candidates. He had to defend me against Evan Solomon and, you know, the, all, all of the, the, you know, the left wing reporters who don't know the truth if it lands on their desk. And, uh, you know, frankly, it was very disturbing. And so I, I am indebted and Maxime's time is coming. It is, this is not done by a long shot. It's coming because the whole bid for the social, uh, for, for the conservative uh, leadership uh, race and what is shaping up, it's going to be a mess. And I can't wait to watch this. At the same time, there is also a very uphill battle for conservatives to win elections in Canada. We don't have the conservative base of the population that they have in the U.S., for example. So when conservatives have won, or the conservative party historically has won, it's been by very slim margins in many cases. Do you think the PPC is sabotaging conservative victory hopes in Canada? No, I think the PPC is offering an alternative to the, the CPC constituents who can no longer feel that 
validated, respected, honored by the Conservative Party of Canada. Let's remember, Peter McKay basically thinks that social conservatives are a stinking albatross um, in the organization. Social conservatives have recently just come out, unless you're willing to march in a pride perversion parade with naked guys uh, and children around and naked women um, and children watching, then apparently you're not worthy of being a conservative. That party has abandoned. You might as well just all go to the Liberal Party and give Justin Trudeau a, a run for his money for leadership because that's who you are. And the, the conservative constituency that are true conservatives needed an outlet. And Maxime Bernier saw that. And he thought he can't even support all of this. I mean, the the um, policies on immigration, the Paris Climate Accord. When I was running in Red Deer, I couldn't find any, I could not find one conservative who supported the Paris Climate Accord. But, you know, blah, 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 on and on. They were just going to support uh, Andrew Scheer, who rammed that through. Um, as soon as he was leader, he rammed the Paris Climate Accord. He forced a vote on it, which Maxime Bernier, you know, quietly removed himself from the House so that he didn't have to vote against, you know, this guy that just beat him. And also, let's not remember, there's a bunch of cheating going on because there were 7,466 votes, too many cast in that leadership vote. And I believe that Maxime Bernier was robbed. So he did not... He did not take his ball and leave angrily. He stayed there and stayed there, even though it looked like there was complete, um, you know, underhanded cheating going on. I mean, Andrew Scheer didn't actually win. 7,466 votes were cast that shouldn't have been cast, and they all swayed the vote into Andrew Scheer's camp. And really, he won by about 69 votes. I mean, it was one, it was less than 2%. And so this party is too morally and intellectually corrupt to be reformed. Maxime Bernier knew that before any of us, and I, I thank God for him. You know, there was a time when people said that about the PC Party of Canada when it was around, and the remedy to that was the merger between the Alliance and the PCs to form the Conservative Party of Canada. That merger produced Stephen Harper. That merger produced Maxime Bernier. Is that something that you think could happen in the future? Because right now I see far too much animosity between the PPC and the CPC for it to ever uh, meet in the middle and say, all right, now we're a, a true conservative party. Right. Well, what a beautiful thing to happen would be um, that a true conservative were to be elected as the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And there is a massive movement going on right now, and it is with the true SOCONs. It is with the true people who believe in the sovereignty of Canada, who love Canada, who believe in freedom for all. We believe in freedom for uh, all sexually, um, um, uh, and people who are uh, of different nations and uh, different um, religious affiliations. We believe in freedom for all. If somebody were to be elected, that could embrace all people and yet respect diversity. Because in Canada, we're losing the truth. We think that we're, we, we are diverse, but we have to agree with each other. And we don't have to agree with each other. We simply actually have to respect each other respect diversity, respect it. So if there were somebody hired or brought in who won the leadership of the conservative party that would embrace the PPC people who had gone and maybe offer, you know, an, an olive branch to Maxime Bernier with a completely different party. 
oh, okay, miracles can happen. But under the way it is, with Peter McKay, Aaron O'Toole, Marilyn Gladue being these key people, whoever comes in, you know, even if um, if Candace Bergen were to run, she's not a true conservative. Uh, she would still probably march in a parade with stipulations or whatever. She's not the real deal. So uh, how are we to walk together? You know, I, I'm a spiritual person. Here's a, a proverb from the Bible. How can two walk together unless they agree? If we cannot come to agreement, we cannot walk together. Maxime Bernier is in the position where he has to lead because we all can't vote for the CPC anymore. But I want to ask you about the significance you hold to pride parades. And, and I get that in the last couple of weeks, this has become central to the media's discussion. And, you know, the battle between Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole is who's going to march in more pride parades than the other. But why isn't that, in your view, is that something that disqualifies someone from being a conservative? I mean, there are lots of uh, people that are completely okay walking in pride parade that I would say are still conservatives. Why does that disqualify someone from having an ideological outlook? If by your own admission earlier on you said ppc is about standing up for all people of sexual orientations races religions cultures and so on right excellent question andrew uh my gay friend um i i, I just uh love this guy he will not march in a pride parade uh my transgender friend jen smith will not march in a gay pride parade andrew we have children and we see pedophilia trying to be normalized and when you've got grown men with their junk hanging out, and I got the pictures, they're on my Facebook. Feel free to grab them and stick them up for your audience, you know. Uh, but you've got grown men and women half naked. You've got men who have um, chains attached to guys who are walking. I have a picture of this. And they've got dog face masks on. This is sadomasochistic perversion. Like these are sexual deviants with children walking behind. This is, I'm sorry, uh, my, my gay friends are embarrassed of what is going on in pride parades. This is not the place where we say, you gotta march in the pride parade. Do you know what I stand for? I stand for freedom for all people. If you wanna be gay, you be gay. You wanna be polyamorous, bisexual, um, you know, whatever it all is, pansexual, be it. It, this is Canada. Apparently, it's a real asset to be gay. I'm a, I'm good with that. But don't don't tell us that our standard and the litmus test is is to have our children being sexualized in a parade. Like you've got to be joking me. I lose all respect for all these leaders at this point. I lose respect for the Conservative Party of Canada. Where is the decency? Where is integrity? Where is moral character? Where is the family being respected in this nation? If we are going to become Babylon, we will get what we vote for. You know, I've seen the pictures that you've described. I'm aware of the nudity factor and I'm aware of, of that. I mean, every gay rights activist I've spoken to about this has said that it's a minority. For a lot of people, it's just about a place to celebrate and a place to be who they are and, and celebrate the freedom that you just acknowledged. And I still go back to how participating in that aspect of society, if you want to, and I, I don't like when people get bullied into it, but if you want to be there and you're a politician, why that is antithetical to being a conservative well you just brought up the key issue bullied into it it's become the test 
Is it a test if they walk in the Jesus parade? Is it a test if they walk in, um, you know, uh, an indigenous march, if that were to happen? Um, it's not. It's become the pride parade. And many people do not believe that that coincides. Here's the honest truth. It doesn't coincide with their religious conviction. Has Maxine and Bernier not himself marched in pride parades, though? He has. And, you know, I've never actually asked him this, but I don't think he'd do it again, Andrew. Not because I don't think um, Maxine Bernier uh, really would have a problem with it as per that people are gay, because I think he's shown himself to be very supportive of all Canadians. But I don't think he would do it from the pandering aspect any longer because the LGBTQ has begun to be a political event and movement whereby hey, if you don't accept diversity and inclusivity and Bill C-16 pushing things towards, um, you know, compelled speech, uh, now young guys can identify as a girl and run in girls track and field and steal uh, the awards and gold medals from young budding Olympian girls. Okay. So guys can come in. So the whole thing all lumped together now, it's too, it's too political. It's too much like a movement taking over society. And so I don't think that Maxime Bernier would march in a pride parade because he wouldn't march in a Jesus parade, although he's Catholic and believes in Jesus, but he wouldn't do that. Um, he's not seen with all, you know, Sikh and Muslim groups meeting and Christian groups. He, He's trying to embrace what Canada is great for, and that's freedom. Does that make sense, Andrew? It does. And I think that even if people disagree with your perspective about prize parades, I think they can understand that these have been undeniably politicized. I mean, the police involvement versus police being banned. That's a great right. example of that. And that's why I think you've seen politicians in the Conservative Party who have used that as as basically their out, I think, to say, ah, you know, I don't want to be in this so I can I can do it on the, the police grounds. But I think you raise a valid point here, which is that Maxime Bernier, by his own admission, has not shied away from taking on the libertarian label. And I think a lot of people have assumed that someone who is more libertarian in nature and someone who's a social conservative cannot find common ground on a lot of things. And I've always disagreed with that. And I find that the relationship that you have with the PPC is a great example of this, where you can have these socially conservative values and stand up for liberty, and these things aren't at odds with each other. And I think that that is something that would be valuable for social conservatives to understand, that there is a lot more common ground if you view it in different terms than uh, the way that I think that argument has conventionally happened. Exactly. And, um, you know, in, in the PPC, there, there were gay uh, candidates. And I talked with, I think, probably most of them, because as I was so vocal, they wanted to have this conversation with me, like, am I accepted by you? Or are you, or do you reject me? You know, and and vice versa. Like, do you reject me? I am a I'm a strong Christian stander. I believe in the word of God. Can we find a place where we walk together, where we have coffee, where we have uh, I had lunch 
you know, with people from the PPC who are gay and we talked it all through. And uh, I think one thing that they could sense is I'm a very loving person. There's kindness uh, in my voice. I, I, I have no reason to expect or demand that anybody would change. I do have to ask as a matter of practicality and, and a truth is truth. I'm not one of these people that thinks it's subjective and your truth, my truth. I, I don't buy that or, or like that, but you are uh, statistically a minority. I mean, Christians are a minority at this point, devout, observant Christians. And that means that Christian values in Canada, specifically in Canada, are a minority. Now, there are people that are of the Muslim faith, the Jewish faith, and other faiths that would agree with you on a lot of things you've said, maybe for different reasons, maybe for the same reason. But politically speaking, would you rather not deal with winning and having the ability to advance the things that you care about by not talking about those things, by saying, you know what, whoever you are, whatever you do, whatever you like, I'm not going to touch that. Because that's the the dynamic that I think people are trying to put on the Conservative Party of Canada right now, which is that we have to take this 20, 30, 40% chunk of the party and say, okay, you guys keep your mouth shut. But the, the trade-off is you get to win. And I know you don't like that and don't agree with that, but I wanted to put that scenario to you to hear uh, exactly why it is that that's so wrong in your view. Right. It's so wrong. You know, uh, Maxime Bernier did an incredible tweet. Uh, I believe it was either this morning or yesterday. So if you go to his Twitter account, this man is he is miles ahead of everybody else, every other politician in Canada. Basically, somebody was saying two thirds of the people in Canada don't agree with you. And Maxime Bernier came back and he said that he would rather spend his time trying to convince them of the great ideas, great policies of the reasons that we feel that we have the truth. Um, he didn't use that word, the truth, but of the reasons that the PP feels that they are the leading edge and the right choice for this nation rather than pandering to the rest. And I believe that's true. And there's one more reason, Andrew, and I'm, this is you, your questions are phenomenal. And if we could understand this as a nation, we could change this nation. Um, we can no longer just go along with the narrative because it's going to lead to complete and absolute loss of freedom, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion. When Randy Boysenall, former MP for the um, Liberal Party, he was voted out of his seat, thank God, in Edmonton. He is going from municipality to municipality, and he's telling all of these municipalities, you have to ban conversion therapy. Do you know what he wants? He wants a young kid who's 10 years old to not be able to be convinced that uh, that he can, um, uh, that he doesn't have to to change his gender and that he can be affirmed in where he is. He wants somebody who's 22 who's struggling with uh, a sexual desire towards same-sex attraction that they don't want. That We're talking about people who are actually going, you know, I don't want this. I've fallen in love with a girl. I'm still attracted to guys. These are real scenarios, by the way. These are real people. So they want there to be no conversation. So what Randy Boysenall has suggested is that pastors, uh, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists would receive a $10,000 fine for even saying what I just said, that, hey, maybe there's, you know, reasons behind how you're feeling and we should talk about it. Talk therapy is now going to be banned uh, with a $10,000 fine, removal of credentials. And Randy Boysenall 
said prayer should be removed prayer. So you want to pray for somebody that, that God would reveal his ultimate will and purpose and, and affirm their destiny and their identity. You want to pray, you're going to end up, do you know what word he used, Andrew? Jail, jail. That's why we can't be silent because this has gone too far. I was at some of the Justice and Human Rights Committee meetings that were on Parliament Hill back in, I think it was June. And there were activists there that were saying we need to start criminalizing hate speech, but their definition of hate speech, which, I mean, we know from the letter of the law now, could include misgendering, could include all of these murky and malleable terms. And, and the, the liberals have been quite open to that idea of, of recriminalizing hate speech that falls below that criminal standard. And I think this is precisely the point. We have serious challenges in Canada. We have a, a liberal government that doesn't care about liberty. And to your point about what Maxime said, wanting to win people over, you look at the PPC vote numbers in 2019, not a huge player electorally. Maxime Bernier didn't win his seat. And I guess the question I have is, do you not think that there is a, a problem or a risk of spinning your wheels and not getting to advance anywhere because you're holding out for this ideological purity. I have a belief that whatever you compromise to keep, you will eventually lose. And Andrew Shear saw this happen. The reason, so we didn't get the best numbers. We're only a year old. Oh my gosh, this is a miracle. Almost 300,000 people in Canada. You know, that would be you know, maybe three, four ridings if we put them all in the same spot. But that amount of people thought that our ideas were good. I moved to Red Deer and I didn't know one soul in that place. And I got 2,500 people to vote for me. And yes, it was a small percentage based on all the percentages, you know, but it was more people than where I lived, where I got 10.65% in Burnaby um, South. OK, like people, I would just meet them. I'd begin explaining what we believe, the freedom that we stand for. They were like, this is it. A lot of people, if I had one dollar for everyone who said, I just can't vote for you this time, but I'll vote for you next time, I would be a millionaire. Well, OK, maybe exaggerating just a bit, but I would have some money in my pocket because people wanted our ideas. And the whole problem and, and everything that we're facing right now is that we think that we have to compromise to be in a big party. There's no compromise with the CPC. They are ruled by elitists. And I guess we're tired of it. And we're not going to vote just to have a party. We're going to vote our convictions. We're going to stand for what we believe in. Because eventually, more and more people are going to stand with us. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. That was an interview with Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson, pre-recorded, if you couldn't tell. I was wearing a different shirt. I thought about whether I'd try to emulate, and I'd say, no, I'd just admit that the magic of radio meant it was a pre-taped interview. In any case, my thanks to all of you for tuning into the show, supporting the program, and standing up for freedom. We'll be back in just a couple of days with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day, Canada. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.